Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turned to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have a new friend, Dr. Perry Nicholson, with me. I feel like Perry and I are twin spirits. We speak the same language, and we had such an amazing conversation. We could have talked for hours. Perry is a chiropractic physician with a primary focus on performance enhancement, corrective exercise, and metabolic fitness nutrition. He's also trained to help people with compulsive disorders, with myofascial, orthopedic, medical, and trigger point soft tissue therapy. Perry has gone through his own periods of pain and has learned a lot from his exploration into pain management. His IG profile is called Stop Chasing Pain. We talk about this and so much more. So enjoy our podcast today. Okay. Welcome, Perry. So glad to have you on today. Thank you so very much. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk. I am too, fellow New Jersey person. Like all other movement specialist practitioners, I'd love to hear about your journey into becoming a chiropractic physician and all the work you're doing. So can you give us a little background of how you were inspired to go down this path? Sure, I'd be happy to, by a lot of suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That always, that's a good motivator, your own personal suffering. I honestly think that that puts us down most of the paths that we're supposed to end up on, right? I mean- Otherwise, why would you discover a new path if everything's going great? You'll just stay on the one you're on (laughs) until you get bored and then you'll find some way to sabotage it and uh, find another one. But honestly, it's probably a similar journey to many people who got into different ways to help 
other people through whatever healthcare modality they choose to do is through your own suffering or very often it's through the suffering of another person, someone else in your life, because sometimes we're far more willing to do something for another person than we are ourselves. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I've been in the fitness industry and training and moving since I was 14 years old. I'm like old school. I'm 54 now. So I was training when they were like really short shorts and, you know, Nautilus machines and not very many gyms around at circa the eighties. And, uh, really gravitated towards bodybuilding because I was very fat, very overweight, shy as a kid. And that helped get me in shape, but build my, my inside, you know, my strength of character, my confidence and commitment to something. But you can go down a deep quicksand in that world where you, you do too much, uh, you get hurt, you keep pushing through it, you know, pain is weakness, leaving the body kind of mantra or, it can actually work the other way where you get dysmorphic, where it's never enough. You never look good enough. You're never big enough. And it's, it can be toxic as well as a positive world. And I hurt myself, my lower back uh, doing some squats. And then I did the famous last words, you know, maybe it'll go away. And it can and it does most of the time because the body's really good at trying to fix itself. Until you really stop listening and you go back and you hurt it again and again and again. At one time, my body said, guess what? You pushed it too far and I'm really going to hurt you and you can't walk for a week. And uh, how, how old were you at this time? Young. I was probably at that time. My first really bad herniation in the back was probably at 18. Wow. 19. And my training partner at the time said, well, you should go see my chiropractor, well, Cairo who? Because they really weren't as popular as they are now. And I'm like, sure, man, I can't walk. Guy put me on the table, did some of uh, the chiropractic treatment, and I was significantly better within a few days. And I was just, wow, that was incredible. But at the time, I didn't even think about becoming one because I was doing my own thing. And I just kept plugging along, kept training, kept getting hurt. That went down a different avenue. The school was going to be an attorney. And, you know, I decided not to go that route. And then I got hurt again. And then he put me back together. And I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe I could do this. And I said, do you think I could? It was later in life. I'd already gone through college. And he said, sure, you can. So I quit full-time work. I went to work part-time, moved back home with my parents so I could go to school and get some of my basic sciences because I just studied how to do political science and law, you know, not transfer over to biology. And I got, I got hooked and I knew that it's what I wanted to do. And it's perfect because I've been doing it for 20 some odd years now. I do way more than that now. Uh, I don't do what people would typically say a chiropractor does. And that's why I don't say that I'm a chiropractor because you go to this mental folder of what it is and your experience with it or what you've heard about. And there's pretty much 100% chance that you're going to be zero wrong when you try to put me in a box. And uh, I ended up with my offices in uh, gyms, which I'm broadcasting to you now. So I, I went back home, you could say, to the training world, which has always been a part of my soul. And it worked out great because it turns out a lot of people get hurt when they work out. <laughs> and so I walk out on the gym floor and everybody's a hot mess. And then they ask me for help or it's my rehab room. So I can go out there and train and work with people. And then everybody's always asked me, 
for advice. And that kind of brought me to where I am now. And hence, you know, my back feels great. Body feels fantastic. And I just tried to take what I've been through to help other people hopefully not go through it. But if they do, they'll suffer a little less and for not as long. That's perfect. It sounds very similar to me in that you're merging two passions, your academic professional life and your life as a, before that, a loving movement, loving fitness and weight training and bringing more of the integrated academic background into that. So you're not just purely, you know, because again, if we go into chiropractors, a lot of people will say, what do you think of a chiropractor? And I said, well, that's a very, you know, like you said, a lot of people have their um, index files. I like how you said that of of what it means. They're just immediately thinking somebody's going to adjust you, manipulate you. And I've always said it really just, everybody's different. Everyone's trained different. Their approach is different. If they're not telling you how you can improve your overall movement and they're just fixing your imbalances, then that's not, that's a person you, that's, you don't want to go to because they're just going to rely on you coming back again and again. What you want is somebody who's saying, this is what led to this. Let me help you feel better as you're in acute pain. And let's really focus on how you won't get this, get, get this way again. Like you had that repeat low back injury. How do you, how are you, how are you set up in terms of, do you do a lot of preventative care, education? Obviously, do you do still some forms of manipulation? What does your professional life look like? I, I do. That's a really good question. You know, the way you phrase that always reminds me of kind of like the, the Forrest Gump movie when he goes, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It's the same thing when you get into healthcare, just because somebody's, it's a box. There's a lot of different flavors in there. <laughs> Yeah. And physical therapists are the same. You know, it's like there's a yeah. you need to know more, more than just like what the label is. Yeah. And they all play a role. And listen, sometimes if you got to have what they call an adjustment, a manipulation, a mobilization, it's just basically taking something that's stuck and you unstuck it. And that plays a role because you got to get it moving. But the operative word is moving. And then they got to get off the table and go back to this thing called life. So I, I quickly realized that I was always on the search for why stuff would keep coming back. Like, what's the deal? Like everything I have, I have all the beautiful toys and fancy machines and I can help people, but they don't stay better. So there's something that I'm missing. Either they're doing something when they, when they leave that they don't know that they're doing is messing them up, or I'm not telling them what they should do differently, not necessarily better. And I realized, well, when they get off my table, holy cow, they got to move like a lot, not just exercise. That's the thing is you know, exercise is only a form of human movement. They're different. And so what I wanted to try to do was to look at human movement, talk about movement with people. And see, people talk a lot about movement now, but in the, my days, it wasn't on the table except for just going to the gym and working out. So I started to get people into more basic fundamental human movement patterns, learning to control their own body mass before they start slinging around another load. Because if you can control your own body mass in a lot of different positions, that's true strength for me. So, and it'll make your journey into strength training more enjoyable and less likely that you're going to hurt yourself. Because I've been training long enough to know that I got guys that can bench 300 pounds and lift 500 pounds off the floor and they can't get down and do a downward dog or a bird dog and they're struggling and they're shaking. 
that's not good. And if you wake up in the morning and you have a hard time moving because you're stiff and you're tight and you have pain, that's not normal either. So you need to go back to basics and fundamentals. And that's what got me into looking at developmental patterns on the ground. A lot of what they call neurodevelopmental things, like how you moved as a baby and stuff like that. And a lot of things changed for me personally and people that I was working with where they were trying to do traditional quote unquote corrective exercises and they weren't really making much progress. And the thing that really hit me was for healthcare, we're programmed to, you know, treat pain and go after where it hurts. And you should, right? But my business is, my brand name is called Stop Chasing Pain. It doesn't say stop treating pain. It says stop chasing it. That means rubbing and doing something to where it hurts only. You should, but you need to look somewhere else because pain doesn't tell you a whole lot. It only tells you that you've got a problem. It doesn't tell you what it is, where it is, or how you got it. And most of the time, X doesn't mark the spot. It's not there. If it was, everybody would feel better all the time. And so I got exposed to something in the movement world uh, from a very brilliant friend of mine who's a physical therapist named Gray Cook. And his fundamental premise is this, where you have pain or discomfort, you know, I'm going to treat there because there's probably some type of dysfunction, painful dysfunction, right? Uh, what I'm looking for is non-painful dysfunction, areas that don't hurt, but maybe not moving as well as they could. Maybe they're stuck a little bit, or maybe they move too much and you don't have enough control of movement, which happens a lot. Or maybe it's a mixture of both, which it always is. And then I go there. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, that's it. That's actually brilliant. And why didn't I think about it a long time ago? <laughs> so. And then it put in perspective of treating the entire human being, not just the body part they're coming in and they're pointing to. So well, that's what I try to you're do. You're speaking is, my language. Yeah. I mean, I am a neurodevelopmental yeah. trained um, oh, PT. There you go. So you I, you know, I similarly, I was teaching yoga on kind of in one line and then treating my stroke patients over here. And what I saw is this gap between like people coming and doing big movement patterns without proximal stability, without the understanding of how to move through space. And to your point, and like what Greg Cook would talk about, is controlling the things that you don't want moving because that's actually the primary thing that will lead to pain is, uh, or lead to discomfort or lead to imbalance is just moving where you habitually move, but not necessarily being able to control the center so that you can move well off of that. And so we, yeah, we implement all of the developmental stages in the yoga. And that's when I found my own practice just changed fun, like hugely because mm -hmm. I actually had, you know, such a difference in the control and the ability to move in much bigger ways in a variety of planes and a variety of joints with that control. So, but what I find is, um, and I'm curious what you say to people, like, there are people who are the, like, they're going to do whatever it takes and you give them a program and they follow it. But I find there's many more people that if you say, listen, you're having this pain in your low back because X, Y, Z, you know, your posture isn't great. Your, um, have your movement habits aren't great and you need to do this. And there's just like, I don't know what it is. The follow through isn't there. It's like, they'd rather and it might be cultural. It might be part of our like medicinal modern medical model, but 
They'd rather mm-hmm. just take a pain relief than to actually go and do the work because it is challenging. It's really reprogramming the brain and the neural mapping. Do you find that that's a struggle? Yes and no. And, and one aspect, because I'm not the first person you see when you're in pain, I'm usually the last one which means that you've been through a lot of stuff that was supposed to work or can work or maybe could work for someone, but it didn't work for you or it wasn't the right time that you needed it. And uh, you've lost hope per se, or you're just, I don't know what to do. You're much more open to things that you wouldn't be open to before. Suffering has a way of doing that. You haven't hit rock bottom enough to explore that type of option. And you'll eventually get there at some point in time, hopefully. So it's actually easier for me because I know a lot of the things that you've already done, I'm not going to do because my my thought process is if if all that stuff was going to help you, you would be standing there asking me for help. So that's the first sign I need to do something really different or novel, novelty. And that's one of the reasons why the movement patterns work on the ground is because they're so different and novel, but they're really not because they're the first ones they were there, you ever yeah. did. Yes. And so it's there and your nervous system is just rusty. You haven't skied on that slope in a long time. It's fresh powder there. So you got to go back to it. And then your nervous system says, hey, where have you been for the last 30 years? Welcome back to the ground. Now let's play. Play is the operative word. but sometimes, you know, people aren't ready for the buy-in per se. So what I do is I, I tell people, I put your medicine in the dog treat without you knowing it, which means I'm like, okay, I don't want you to stop all the stuff you're doing and just do ground-based movements. But how about you throw one in there in between your lunges? And then what people notice is, doc, I may be crazy, but my lunges felt better or easier and I got better faster you might be onto something here. You're not as crazy as I thought. But here's another thing. One of the things that I learned is a lot of people might not do some of the movement patterns that you give them because they feel a little bit self-conscious or silly when they do them, or they're going to be judged by someone else. So that's very key that you have to put them in an environment where they feel safe to do the movements that you're asking them to do. Maybe you have to do it alone with them instead of a group. Or, you know, they have to get there at their own pace because you already know the value of it. They haven't gotten there yet. So you have to titrate in. You have to tiptoe in. Because, listen, I always ask people this. If people knew what you knew, do you think that they would, the way you know it, that they would be doing it? Yes would be the answer. So you just have to get them to that point. And then I always tell people, some people, they're not ready for it yet. But you help who you can, and then you move to the next one. Amen. And that's definitely like, I, I get that. And I, I have the people that, you know, I'm just thinking general public and, you know, and I think this goes back to preventative, like this is a really preventative package, like probably what you teach, what I teach, what anyone who's, who's teaching this more global type of movement and understanding, you know, from the ground up, but it is, it almost feels like it should be part of our upbringing in our school system, uh, you know, that, that education is there. And that it's the foundation from which all good movement comes from. I think, the, like you said, the resistance could be a lot of things. People have pain. They get hopeless. I, you know, pain, and I want to talk about pain because obviously that's a huge part of your title and your work is that pain is such a motherfucker. It's like people get scared of it, fearful of it, and then they think they can't move because of the pain. 
Can you talk about how, how you explain pain to people, how it is not something to fear, but that it's more of a communication from our nervous system? Yeah. Oh boy. Isn't that kind of the universal question, right? That, that's almost like trying to figure out how the universe started because there's, there's so many different perspectives to it. And that's the, that's the key word right there. Pain is all perspective and perception and subjective. It's not the same for everyone. There's no objectivity to pain, which means you really can't quantify it, even though we try to with the pain scales of where you're on a scale of zero to 10. Well, your 10 might be my one. It's context driven based on your life, your culture, your past experience with pain and the meaning that you're applying to the story that you're telling yourself. So pain is mental, pain is physical, pain is make-believe, pain is real. It's all over the place. It's kind of like a unicorn, right? But I tell people that I don't really think you're going to get any kind of physiological answer of how, what pain is. There's no dedicated pain center in the brain. It's all of it. It wires and fires everywhere. So what I, what I try to do is have people con- put pain as a context of, first of all, try not to view it as a type of punishment. Try to view it from your body as a mechanism, an option, a way of protecting you from doing something that you can hurt yourself more. Because trust me, you certainly can. And what you need to know is that if you weren't able to feel pain, you would die way faster because you've got no awareness of what you should or shouldn't do. And like I cut myself and I'm bleeding to death. How come I didn't know that, right? Or you get a burn and you didn't feel it and you get infected and you're dead in a week. So you should bless yourself that you got pain. What you need, and that right there, that reframe automatically should change it. It's hard to do that when you're in it. I know because I've been there. But I, I came across a definition of pain from somebody you might be familiar with. And you work at, if you look at Feldenkrais, it's a not Banyel. And she has a a phrase that's called pain is a request for change. And I'm like, you can't get any better than that. Where pain is a request from you, your spirit, your soul, your body, whatever you believe in, the Buddha, I don't care. It's requesting that you change something. And then people say, change what? And my answer is yes. I don't know (laughs) what it is. I just know that it needs to be different than what you're doing now. And how about changing how you move. There's one changing how you breathe, right? And usually it's a change in your habits and your behaviors. It can be a small one, like a very small change that you make that can be a huge catalyst for change because this, our body system is, is a nonlinear system. It's a complex system, but it's not complicated. And it's nonlinear, which means that an input in the front, the output is not the exact same as the input. It can, a small input could be huge on the back end. A huge input could be small on the back end. That's why the small adjustments that you do on the ground can make a a significant difference for someone when they've been struggling for so long. And usually find out in relationship to movement, you know, doing less better works out quite well in the beginning because you, you know better than anybody. I find that people don't have very good body awareness of anything on their body. And if I could just make you feel aware of parts that you haven't paid attention to in a long time, that can change your life. Absolutely. I I totally agree. On pain. No, I I think, yes, I I always, because I do, you know, I see so many people, whether it's similar to you, pain in the shoulder, pain in the neck, pain in this, and it, it has 
a variety of uh, responses for people. You know, people are either, but mostly people have increased anxiety and fear about movement, you mm-hmm. know? And I, you know, and I, I, I want to say, like you said at the very beginning, you need to trust that your body is actually working for you and is actually very strong and resilient. So even say a disc herniation, I can't tell you the number of people that say, oh, I have a herniated disc. What should I not do? And I said, well, let's talk about actually what you should be doing, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, what you shouldn't be doing, you probably were already doing. (laughs) And that's probably what what led to this. And, you know, so so it, it is, it's all, I find that the conversation around the body, because of this lack of awareness, lack of habits, lack of, uh, in, you know, imbalance, it leads to just, yeah, people just don't know what they're walking around in. And a pain signal, again, I, I, I love that quote as well. It is just, it's, it's basically calling you, yelling at you to change something. And people, I, pain is, the good thing about pain is it's usually the thing that will summon people to change, you know? Well, if yeah, if you think about it, and it, it's, a, it's a form of awareness because you're aware that it hurts. So it's a really smart strategy for your body to say, might want to pay attention to something over here, but it's not always, it, body likes to trick you a little bit. Uh, it's doing stuff for a reason and it all makes sense. It sometimes it just doesn't make sense to us. But one of my favorite phrases that I say is that the human body is under no obligation to make sense to you. Like it's just <laughs> going to do what it's going to do. And maybe you'll catch up someday, but he's like, I'll wait for you until you get there. But so think about that with the shoulder that hurts. One, you're aware of it. So it's going to change how you move the shoulder and you'll probably develop a fear of moving your shoulder. And then that can stay in the brain long after the tissue has healed. And then people can't find a physiological reason why the shoulder hurts, but it still hurts. But here's the thing that gets tricky because just because you have physiological damage in the shoulder doesn't mean that that's causing you pain. There's no correlation between tissue damage and pain. Because you got somebody who's got a lot of damage here and severe arthritis, and they're like, "Well, thanks for letting me know. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go work out now." And then you got somebody who's like, "I can't find anything," and you're like, "Why can't I move my shoulder?" I don't know, right? So how about you make somebody aware of a non-painful body part? Like how about the, the other 99.9% that works pretty damn good? So if you if you are aware of your shoulder all the time make somebody aware of their left foot or the sensation in their foot. And here's the beautiful thing. When you become aware of that, you stop being on the shoulder because you can only feel one pain at a time. So it's the, it's the kind of a distraction technique. Yeah. I always say the brain do. craves novelty. And if you're doing yeah. something different, it's going to be like, hmm, that's, and that's why getting on the ground is so amazing. Like you said, it's both new and both very, very old in our patterning. But I'm curious in terms of pain and stories, like this person says something about the shoulder. How often do you feel like that is, or what do you think is the strategy there that people come in and they're like, I have, you know, I have weak knees, I have weak ankles, I have a bad back. I, and how powerful do you think that story, for lack of a better word, uh, or a better phrase, how powerful do you think that is in terms of that person's ability to change, improve, strengthen? What do you feel like? I think it's everything, honestly. I mean, because human beings, you know, we learn and we do habits and behaviors through stories. You don't change habits and behaviors through information and data. When you study learning, that doesn't drive, it's not, doesn't tap the emotion, the feeling. 
it's not going to get you very far. We like to use the logical brain when we do that, but it, it's only going to get you to a certain point. Information in and of itself is inherently meaningless because it can mean anything, right? It, it's, the, it's the meaning that you give it. So uh, what I mean by that as an example, like hieroglyphics mean something, but if I don't know what the hell a hieroglyphic is, I don't know what I'm reading. So it may say something really horrific there. I just don't know it. So I can't react to it. The information is still the same, but there's no meaning there. You understand? Mm -hmm. So that's the same thing. That's why words and language can make you sick or they can make you heal. So when you say bad shoulder or weak back, you're already behind because your nervous system is listening. Your cells are listening. And you're like, okay, that's what I have. And you say, my right side is my weaker side or my weak side. I'm like, no. How about your left side is the stronger side of the two? And so both strong, you just got one that's stronger than the other. And you're like, that's semantics. No, that's your life. That's why I really started to study language and the words that I say and paying attention to the words that somebody else is saying, the words that you say to yourself all day long inside of your head. And not only that, but the tone in which you say them. I mean, that can be, I mean, it's really unbelievably powerful how much power we have to change how we feel once you become aware of it. And that was a struggle for me, honestly, where I had to step back and pay attention to some of my self-talk and words because you do it so often you don't know that you're doing it it's it's kind of the analogy that they say when the fish becomes aware of water and they're like where did all this water come from (laughs) i've been there the whole time they don't know what water is it just is and then when you pay attention to it and it's not easy it takes practice and that self-destructive thought process that happens and you're right and i tell people it's not easy but i'm going to tell people you're going to suffer either way You can't get away from the suffering. I need you to choose which one you're going to go down. The bigger one or the the lesser one? You got to choose, right? Because it's it's not going to be not suffering. You sound like a a Buddhist, Perry. (laughs) You know what? I had to get that way to heal myself. And when I see people walk through my door, you don't come to see me until you're really sick. And I think from me and my perspective, I don't believe that somebody can have a chronic disease, an autoimmune disease without some type of trauma and emotional mind-body connection that's going on. You just don't don't know it yet, or you're not ready to accept it yet, and I have to see what level, or you don't even know what, what it is, but it's there because all I know is this, whatever you're doing right now ain't working, and doing more of it ain't gonna work better. So now we have to look down a different path. And you know what? When I think about it, that's what science is. Science is curiosity. Science is exploration. Science is trying to ask a better or different question to challenge the way things are. If you just trust and take it verbatim that trust this, well, how are you going to discover any new possibilities? And No, that's how I 
look at it. It doesn't make, this is really important. I don't believe that there's a right way to move or a wrong way to move because it's all context driven. The right way here may be the completely wrong way to do it somewhere else. You follow? There's only different ways to move. And if I can just get that through your head, that you're not doing something wrong and it doesn't make you a bad person and nothing's going to go horribly wrong, just listen to your body, pay attention to your body and explore. Because what I've learned is that if you do the same kind of movements all of the time, you're going to become more vulnerable and less resilient than somebody who can play around in all the different edges of the circle. I totally agree. And everything you said just really resonates because there is a lot of information out there. There are a lot of movement specialists. There are a lot of um, and there, and I think all of us are saying a lot of similar things. And then we're also saying some different things and we're not saying it as a, an opponent to the other, but it's all contextual, like you're saying. So I'll have people who, who come on and, you know, my teacher trainees and they're like, oh my gosh, I was watching this physical therapist and they're training and loading and in range of motion. What do you think about that? And I said, it depends on who you are. Like if that's something you're going to need in your sport in your life and you do it gradually, there might be value to that. But a majority of the people that I'm teaching do not, that's not what they need to be doing because they need to actually know how to hold their shit together in, <laughs> in smaller <laughs> ranges. So to actually right. go to the in range, cause they're watching somebody on Instagram going and then loading there is you're setting yourself up most likely for that harm. So there's uh, with all this my question is, there's a lot of confusion for people who are curious, who are curious about movement. How would you respond to that when they're, they are seeing lots, of, you know, they go on Instagram and they see this person's promoting this and this person's promoting that. And again, we, as these movement teachers are recognizing that it is, con it should be context driven and no, there is no necessarily right or wrong, but they can't just take it and apply all apply to themselves. Does that make sense? How do you how do you answer those yeah. questions? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you see that a lot, right? I mean, everybody puts something up. And a lot of stuff that you see on those things are put up there because the more it looks like a circus stack, the more clicks you're going to get. Like, listen, every single movement can be a corrective exercise depending on the context that you're using and, and, and the tasks that you're trying to do and who you're working with. Everything, right? And the dirty little secret is everything works for someone. Right. right. But not one thing necessarily works for everyone or maybe it will, but it's not the right time for you because human beings can do all sorts of different movements. But if your nervous system isn't ready to accept what you're sending into it, it's just going to get you through it and it'll ignore what you just did. Like, you're not going to learn anything from it. You're just going to load up the system. I'm not saying you might not make any changes, but it might not make some lasting changes in there. Right. So, but I want people yeah. to feel comfortable because the idea behind when people see me is that, you know what, I don't want you to come see me because that means I've, I've helped you when you walked in and I've educated and empowered you to be able to take care of yourself as best you can until you feel you need me. Right. Mm -hmm. And because uh, sometimes they feel like they can't do it without somebody being next to them, wearing the white coat and telling them exactly which way to move. And that has its place in the beginning, but you have to be very careful because then you instill that somebody can't be resilient on their own and they get, they get stressed and they get obsessive compulsive that they're not doing it the right way. 
And Amen. so I tell them it's okay. Just, just explore and have a little fun with it. And if, if it trusts your intuition and trust what you're feeling. And also don't forget to use this thing that not many people take advantage of. It's called common sense. <laughs> Well, that's what I always say when people like send me a, uh, you know, Instagram thing. They're like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, well, what do you think of it? Like, actually, you know, I, you know, to your point, you don't have to ask me, you know, like you're, you're for you to even send it to me with that inquiry, you probably already know the answer. You just want an affirmation or confirmation. But yeah, that's a, like a common sense. Like, is this a good idea? Well, Probably not. You probably uh, already yeah, know that. Most yeah. of those things, you know, as one of my friends said, nothing ever turns out well when you when you hear, uh, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to do something that's going to need an orthopedic surgeon afterwards, right? Right. But here's the thing I get asked a lot. When I'm, when I'm trying to show a movement or a technique, and then people say, well, why do you... Why do you do it that way? And then I usually say, okay, well, a couple of reasons. One, you got to start somewhere. Two, that's the way that somebody showed me how to do it. And maybe it's been done that way for a long time because it really works freaking well, right? A lot, a lot of Eastern medicine does that, right? right? Even if there's not statistically significant peer-reviewed research to support if it. it's been done for yeah. a couple thousand years, it might work a little bit. And, and then I'm like, I have a novel idea. If you do it that way, you don't notice any difference. Don't say, oh, doc, your technique sucks. You don't know what you're doing. No, what you just got is information that that's not it. Maybe you need to go, if you went left, how about you go right this time? If you went up, how about you go down? How about you go faster? How about you go slower? How about you go any other way you want? Here's a novel idea. It goes back to the same we talked about before. How about you change something up? How about you do something different because this the brain has to have a comparison between something to have contrast to learn because if there's no contrast everything looks the same so you need difference you need point a and you need point b otherwise everything is point a but here's where people get lost people are on point a and they want to go to point b and i'm like that's great but the point is not the idea is that you don't have to get to point b on your first step the goal is actually not B. The goal right now is not A, <laughs> which don't yeah. do that. And here's the beautiful thing. Maybe you'll realize you don't want B anymore. Maybe you want the letter five. I don't know, but I just know it's going to change. So that was huge for me is that don't get so caught up that I'm not doing it right or this is where I've got to go or if I don't do my exercises, I'm not going to get to B. Just don't do A. Mm -hmm. And then the rest will take care of itself. That's letting go and trusting what your body wants to do for you. Cause body's really freaking smart. If you get out of your own way mm -hmm. and begin to trust it a little bit, trust your instincts, trust your gut. Like you said before, what do you think about? It? Yeah. All right. I, well, I could talk to you forever. Cause we're all like so similar in this way, but I want to talk about some of your specializations mm -hmm. and you deal a lot with lymphatics and the wonderful wandering nerve the vagus nerve. So how did you get into going deeper beyond bones and muscles and exploring the lymphatic system and how important it is for healing? First, can you really talk a little bit about lymphatic system for anybody out there that's not sure they heard of lymph, but why is, why is it so important for our vitality and wellness? 
Great. Well, I'll kind of cycle back to my first answer. A lot of suffering. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I only discovered lymphatics because I, I damn near died. And I had a physical and mental breakdown. And all the stuff that I knew and studied over the years in my training and traditional medicine wasn't working or was speeding me to my deathbed. I had to, I had to figure out a way to rescue myself. And I got that way through stepping outside of what I normally would look at. And I came across the lymphatic system because I looked everywhere else. And, you know, I was also like, lymph, what? <laughs> I mean, I got trained in medicine. I'm like, what the hell does that have to do anything? I don't have cancer. I did at one point. But you only hear about lymphatics if you have cancer or if you have what's called lymphedema, where a body part or multiple body parts get extremely swollen with edema to where you can't function sometimes. And it can be very, very painful. But, you know, nobody ever looked at it before. And, and I only looked at it because I was really suffering for a long period of time. And I hit rock bottom and I went to a workshop in London and I was really sick. And then somebody said, I know what your problem is. I think you have a lymph issue. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what that is, really. And he just pressed on different parts of my body where you have what's called lymph nodes. Lymph nodes are small little micro. I tell people it's like mini toilets in your system that are designed to flush waste out that you don't want inside of your body. And the lymphatic system is part of your immune system and your cardiovascular system. It's critical for immune system function so you don't die and you don't suffer. And it's also part of your cardiovascular system, which you, gives you the ability to heal faster, be more resilient, and go harder, faster, stronger, longer. And people say, well, that's pretty important. How come nobody tells me about it? I'm like, that's a really good question because they should. But I can't blame them because I'm in this profession and I didn't look at it either. But he pressed on the lymph nodes on my body and every single one of them was just as painful as the last one. And I wanted to punch him in the face because I'm like, man, that freaking hurts. But two days later, I felt, I kid you not, like 40% better than I felt in the last two years. And I'm like, okay, this is something. And I kept going with it and investigating it and learning why that helped so much. And it ultimately saved my life because basically what it did was it gave my body the ability to eliminate all the inflammation and toxins that were accumulating over the years out that it was not able to get out efficiently because the system wasn't functioning at optimum. And I just didn't know how to help it. I didn't have the awareness that it mattered. So people always ask me, what's the first thing you can do to improve your lymphatics? Number one is become aware that you've got them and you need to work on them. I mean, check the wind box, right? So I went down a rabbit hole, but there wasn't a lot about it because it really, it's more prevalent now, which is nice to see, but there's really not a lot out there. I had to go to the archives, you know, back in medical history. I always talk about limp, like the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones. It's really, <laughs> really important, but it's stuck in a warehouse, somebody, and nobody, knows, <laughs> nobody knew it was there. I'm like, Dude, you realize that don't open that box, right? And so I'm trying to bring that out to the world. And then I started to learn different disciplines and mix up approaches from Eastern medicine and Western medicine, Ayurvedic medicine and all different types and kind of create my own system. But it saved my life and changed my life. And I started to put it to use in my office on other people. I'm like, holy cow, it's working on them too. Maybe there's something to this. And I read a quote once that said, make your wounds your your calling. 
And so I figured that I, I needed to go through my breakdown. I needed to hit rock bottom and learn this because that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And now I teach everybody about the system. And then that led me down the other stuff. When you look at chronic pain and autoimmune disease, you start to see these patterns and then that ties you to the vagus nerve and then all these other different things. But the biggest takeaway that I learned, honestly, was over the years is, you know, we, we give lip service to this kind of term that it's all connected. One, I think we say it, but we immediately forget it. Because at least in Western medicine, and even in exercise, we isolate. We, we take things down and we do reductionist thinking, which you should because it helps you figure things out. But I got news for you. When you put things together with other things, they completely change how they work. <laughs> because nothing works in isolation. So you can't just go after one system in the body. And it never, because I was going after the musculoskeletal system. I was going after the nervous system, but I wasn't going after the immune system or for me, my emotional system, those two, right? Those are really, really big because your immune system will pay the price for your emotional system. And so I started to really take that to heart, look at all of the different systems together, not just the body. And now my approach is this. No system in the body ever works alone, never gets injured alone, never heals alone. You have to look at the bigger picture. And there's no such thing as an isolated injury and no such thing as isolated healing ever. So you start where it hurts and then you branch out from there. And people say, where? And then my standard answer that I've given before is yes. How are you going to figure out where that is? By talking to and listening to the human being in front of me and listening to, here it comes, their stories, because that's going to give me the answer. I can't agree more. I've gone, I just was with my level two training and, you know, they were, we were kind of talking about an initial uh, assessment with anyone. And I teach them in the way that they don't have to be PTs, but they can follow the logic like our soap notes. And I said, you know, one of the most important things is you need to ask them about their life you know, about their sleep, about their relation. You don't have to ask about the relationships, but the, like you have to get an idea of all this multifactorial, multi-multifactorial, all the different elements that lead to the person in front of you and lead to the experience that they're having. And it's not just that they, you know, did this repetitive movement in their shoulder over and over. And that was the only thing that led to that. There's much more to it. And, you know, again, we don't need to know the why that we don't need to know, but we need to gather that information because it'll start to really, because in doing it, you're giving that person opportunity also to really understand themselves because very few people like, again, pain is very one dimensional and it's like there because something was wrong as opposed to, well, it's there because maybe many things are not working well for you in your life. And it might be that you're feeling pain because you're actually miserable in your personal relationships and it's being manifested in this way. And that just happens to be a very easy spot for you to feel it. But it is so fascinating. I think that we, we hold a lot when, we, when we're with working with people because we're, we're really trying to help them in all the ways. So how do you handle like working with people who are a little bit more kind of shut down to investigating beyond just beneath the muscle and skin? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It happens a little more naturally in my office because they're a little more ready for it. Mm -hmm. 
because they've been through so much. And, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of times it's, I always say there's a human being carrying around the tissues that you're working on. And all tissues are not the same. If you look from an anatomy standpoint, maybe from biological and physiological, no, because the tissues have to react to the human being that's been carrying them around their whole life. So your shoulder is not the same as my shoulder because you've been telling your cells have different stories that they're listening to. That's why one therapy will work for you and totally do. That didn't do absolutely anything, right? If it was a shoulder therapy, it would work for everybody. It's the person. So I treat people like people, not necessarily tissue. And I changed my practice around a lot over the years. Like I haven't taken insurance for 10 years and I sit with somebody for 90 minutes. They, you know, unfortunately the healthcare system today is so broken. People can't do that. And I have so many doctors and really wonderful healthcare practitioners that want to do it, but they can't, they got five minutes, which is shameful. Mm-hmm. And they're chokehold. And even they're starting to manifest pain and disease because they can't treat people the way they want to. And I'll sit right there. And, uh, you know, first of all, I look at the history because that tells me a lot. And there's a reason that it's called a systems checklist when you go into the doctor and you should look at all of them. But then I really pay attention and I sometimes just listening starts the healing process, right? Because a lot of times it's people that have been through things where they've been told, I can't find anything on your blood work. I can't find anything. Toughen up, you know, take these things and nobody's, they know, they know something is off. I don't like the term not right because what, what you're getting right now is actually what you need. You just don't see the message in there yet. And so they can have that empowerment that there are options for them because somebody's actually listening, right? And then all this stuff that people carry around is held as tightness and tension in the body. And that tightness and tension in the body chokes off the body's ability to do what it needs to do. Because one, that much tension, you can't move as well or as much as you can because you're too tight. Two, you stop breathing well because you're too tight. Three, fluids don't move well when things are tight. So blood flow to tissue slows down. Blood flow away from tissue slows down. Lymphatic fluid slows down. The fluid around the cells doesn't move and you get stagnant, right? Like a stagnant pool that you come across in nature, you get disease in there. And that's what happens to the person. So very often just having them sit and listen. And then I do what's called an awareness exam when I see someone. And what I think has been lost in modern medicine today is one, the ability to connect with another human being because the environment's, first of all, not set up for it. Two, we don't put our hands on people anymore and touch living tissue. We look at testing. Testing has its place, but it doesn't tell you I can find way more about the human being with my hands. So for an example, you'll get your blood work done and stuff shows up that you're within normal range, whatever the hell that means. It's arbitrary anyway. And then I hate it how you're a five and you're okay, but next time you're a six and then now now you're not. What? And then all I do is I put my hands on your abdomen, push up under your liver, and then you jump. 
or I see you stop breathing, or I see signs of physiological distress throughout the system, I know that's a hot button. And I know you have problems here. It's just not showing up yet at the other end. And I've only knew that by touching you. But here's the takeaway. You only knew it when I touched you. That's why it's called an awareness exam, because somebody will walk in through here and say, I've got pain here. I'm like, okay, let's see how the rest of you are doing. You're like, doc, every single part of my body hurts. <laughs> All right. And so now I know, and then you know that we have some underlying work to do. So it's actually a sense of empowerment because you don't know what you don't know and you can't change something until you become aware of it. And then my job now is to tell you that, listen, you can't change what happened to you in the past, but you can change the meaning of what happened to you in the past. Mm. That's empowerment. Mm, I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, I could just talk to you for hours, Perry. I feel like we're like twins in some way, spiritual twins. I think uh, we should get together and roll around on the ground. And we talk should. And we should totally roll around on the ground and do some bear crawling. And, and uh, yeah, I talk about joy and play. It's like, we were so joyful up until like 12. And then all of a sudden it's just like plateaued. And what's up with that? It's I know, so really, ridiculous. Seriously? I mean, that's one reason I teach handstands. It's not, it's not like it's like a, a, you know, a gold medal pose. It's that it like, A, your brain is figuring out a lot of things. It's novel because you probably haven't been on your hands in a long time, if at all. And it's fun. It really taps into this joy. And we, we're so joyless as adults. <laughs> And even yoga, I have to say, I found yoga like so serious. And I was like, why are we so serious? Life is so serious. Why do we come in here and pretend to be more serious and more pious? Let's have some laughter and joy and fun and sweat. And boy, talk about like really raising consciousness. That's that to me is the the gateway there for sure. Do I have a moment to say one more thing? Of course. That play, I'm so glad that you practice that and talk about it and help people discover that again. Because through the years of trying to help other people and myself, I really started to study pain science and neuroscience, but, you know, almost like real world stuff. Cause sometimes I can get so academic that you're like, that didn't help me at all, but thank you. And so what can I do with it? And something that I read really stuck with me. Cause I always say, okay, we know the stress is, uh, not bad, but too much of it that it doesn't end can really pay a toll. And somebody said that they found that the most stressful thing for the human nervous system or the body is uncertainty, not knowing, lack of control. That means you can't predict what comes next. And the brain is a predictive organ. It takes sensory input in. And then it tells a story about that sensory input based on its prior story. And it will usually repeat it because if you're still alive, it probably was the right move to do. And then, so then you do your motor output. All right. But if you can't predict, you don't know what's coming next. That's like, I always tell people, it's like going into a room that you haven't been in before with the lights off. How are you going to move? How are you going to feel? You're going to be tight, tense, and you're not going to breathe. But what if I flip the lights on and then you see everywhere, everything relaxes? Because now you can predict and you have more control. And then he said that getting back control is the key, but it's really hard to do that. But he said nature is really, really smart. They have a, a built-in teacher for that. 
where here's the uh, paradox. We hate uncertainty, but we crave it. We need it at the same time. Because otherwise, everything would be really boring. Really boring. <laughs> if I knew oh what was coming gosh. next, I'm like, <laughs> God, it's, again, it's like Groundhog Day, right? And so, but he said, we like uncertainty when there is a background of safety associated with it. That's some of Stephen Porges' work from polyvagal theory. And he said, nature has a solution for that, and it's called play. Because play that. is uncertainty, but hey, we're all playing the same game, man. We're like, we kind of know the rules and we know to back off a little bit. So that allows the exploration and you step outside of yourself. And that's how you build a more resilient system and mover through play. So that's how you get better in pain as well, because you decrease the uncertainty in the nervous system and you take your brakes off and you become the, the, the child or the human being that you were supposed to be, but you bottled up. Oh, I love that. I think too, play, it really helps people change their mindset. You know, I'm, I'm in your age group. I'm almost 52. And I, the number of people who say, oh, when I got to whatever, 40 something, I just couldn't move the same way. And it's like such a fucking mindset, you know, it's like, well, there are some things we are aging. We can appreciate that our imbalances are going to show up in a bigger way because we've just been doing them longer. But when you play, it, it's almost like a reset. It's almost like this button that's put, like, oh, you feel a different potential. And it doesn't, there's no like contrast to like, oh, how I played when I was five. It's just novel and fun and different. It's just so refreshing because it's, for most people, very new in their adulthood. And in that play, they're like you said, they're going back and whether it's like having a different experience of a childhood or just having a renewed childhood as an adult. And if when, and in doing that, having a, a renewed idea of what they are capable of. Because what I found like by teaching like handstands, for example, it is a path, it's a journey, there's uncertainty, people can freak out, but they, they, they also love it because it's like this, this play and this practice and this joy and they, and they really want to get it. But when they just the work of getting it, people will come back and say, oh my gosh, I quit my job. I jumped off a cliff for the first time or whatever. I mean, they just, it's like, I went back to medical school, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's like this one opportunity to change how they feel about themselves and what they feel about themselves. The ripple effect is huge. It, it's just so massive. So play is, it is, is, um, it's very undervalued and very needed because we are living in uncertain times and so we, we need to d- adapt some more just daily doses of joy whenever we can. I agree with that. They need to get more of that in the medical-based field too because they have a tendency to take everything so serious in yes. this world because yes. they figure if you're not serious that, that you're not qualified in a way. And there's zero correlation between appearing to be serious and actually being good at what you do. And so if you could lower that veil and then get an environment. Because I always say you, you cannot heal in the same environment you became ill within. And then I know if I if you go into the most medical offices or things like that, 
it's one of the most depressing or sterile places you're ever going to be. Automatically, you feel the energy just suck you underneath and you can't breathe. It scares you. Sometimes it's so sterile and serious. It actually, I think, creates more fear. Like I think so. You, you, You can change that. We have the potential as human. There's actually, you know, a, a branch of neuroscience called environmental neuroscience that fascinates me, where they're looking at how they change the brain and how they change pain based on changing the physiological environments of buildings and rooms and pathways. And I just think that that's really cool. They've been on to that stuff in Asia and Japan for a while when they do their outside rock gardens and bubbles of trees away from things people know, and then people heal and people get better. Or, you know, if I look at a a picture of nature, they see that hormone levels change. I mean, that's pretty damn powerful right there. It's really, it's like when, when I talk about posture, you know, you inhabit like a certain way you're holding yourself. The good news is within, they've already shown this, the neurophysiologists and neuropsychologists have shown within a few minutes, you can change your cortisol, you can change your um, serotonin just from the way you hold yourself, you know, <laughs> Power. Exactly. be your biggest. And like you said, going back to listening to yourself, I always say, be your biggest cheerleader. Who's listening to you more than you? Like, why don't you want to be like cheering this person on? So it all is part of healing is, is like being good, being tender and, and being lighthearted as much as we can with ourselves. And then I think we inevitably will feel so much better. Perry, tell us about where we could, I mean, I would love for, I'm sure everybody would love to have your hands on them and doing all your magic. But if we can't get to you in person, what are some of the offerings that you have? Oh, great. Thank you very much. Uh, Pretty simple. Uh, I've been putting stuff out there for quite a long time. Like when the internet first started, like on stopchasingpain.com. StopChasingPain.com. That's like my central hub. You can branch out to do. I have so many things out there. From yeah. Workshops that people can attend, memberships, videos. I'm on almost every social media platform. I think I like to think I spend a healthy amount of time on Instagram. Some people might call it an unhealthy one, but that's my favorite place to kind of interact and share with people. And StopChasingPain.com is there. And also, I've had my own podcast, the Stop Chasing Pain podcast, for over a decade. Uh, wow. You were like an early potter. I was one of the early adopters. Yeah. So I've had a lot of smart people on there that uh, I've spoken to uh, that people can drop in on. But yeah, I'd love to have you there. And I thank you so very much for the opportunity to come on. And I enjoyed our conversation immensely. Thank you. I did too, Perry. Thank you so much. And everybody out there, make sure you check out Stop Chasing Pain on Instagram and all the different places you can go from there because Perry is genuinely one of the most fabulous uh, movement specialists that I've talked to. So I'm very, very happy to have you here and honored. Thank you for your time. For all of you, as always, I'm pulling for you. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.